Well, good morning, church, and I, uh, I hope you come in and have had a, a great week. We are in the midst of uh, a great series here on our mission and values. It's an exciting time here at Wheaton Bible Church. Uh, just back on September 11th, we launched a new campus, and we have started this series going through looking at values that are going to be driving us for years to come in our mission so that we can accomplish that. And so this series plays an important part in your life if you call this place your home church. Because it's a call to action. It's a call to belief in, in what we are to be about. And so as Pastor Rob laid out, uh, several weeks ago, what our mission was and what we were going through, he is, is challenging us to take this up, make this a part of our lives. I want you to see our mission again. Maybe you have one of the booklets that's been in the worship folder, or you see the notes, but our mission is just a, a simple statement. More and more people would love God, grow together, and reach the world. It's a little bit of a tweak adding that more and more people because we believe that the kingdom is to expand. That we are not a, a part of a kingdom, God's kingdom, that's supposed to just stay as it is. We are to be seen more and more come into this family. And so these values impact each of us. In fact, these values impact each of us personally. They impact us as a community, and our prayer is, is that they would also impact globally. That we would see that this is about God moving. And so we're going to look at two more values today, and i got to tell you, these values are a big deal. But I also have to tell you that we don't have it down yet. <laughs> we, we don't have it perfect. These are like a, a work in progress. They're still in development but as we've been going through this and talking through this, we believe that these two values are so vitally important for transformation to take place in lives. See, if you are a follower of Jesus, the moment that you came into that relationship, that relationship meant that you were to be changing each and every day. So we might not like change, but that's what we're called to. We are about being transformed through the work of Christ. And so as we've done each week, I want you to see the value, and we're going to read it together. I'll state it, and then we'll read it. Um, and then we're going to dive into Scripture and say, where does this go? What is God teaching us in this? So our first value that we're going to look at is this. Why don't you read it with me? Small groups are the spinal column of our community. Small groups are the spinal column of our community because we believe that discipleship is done in relationships. It doesn't happen away from that. And so the point in everything that we are doing at Wheaton Bible Church is about making disciples. It's not, it's, discipleship is never merely about like a program. It's about people. It's inviting people into our lives to see what it means to walk with Christ through every season. And we believe that that happens best in small groups. And so if we're going to create a disciple-making culture here, it means that people are first and programs are second. Now the second value that we're going to look at is tied to this one very closely. And I want you to see that one as well. Read this with me. The church 
is a servant leader development community. The church is a servant leader development community. The reason for this is because we are not to just be consumers, we're to be contributors. As Jesus promised in John 14, 12, we believe that that text is true, and our greatest delight as a church is sending out ordinary people like me, like you, ordinary groups out into the world to do great things, even greater things than Christ, as Scripture says. And so we believe that we have to do this by raising up leaders as we watch Jesus in the Gospels with his unassuming band of 12 disciples. He was raising up leaders, and we are to do the same thing with the life-changing power of the Gospel and sending people out to change the world. So we're going to look at those two uh, values this morning. We're going to look at them. And, and say, how do they impact us? What does this mean for us? And so I, my prayer is that you enter this place with your heart open. Of what does God want to say to me this morning? What does he want to challenge me to do? So when we think of small groups and leader development, how do we see transformation happen from a biblical perspective? Well, I want to look at it. And if you have your Bibles, turn it to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in front of you, and it's around page uh, 1,211. So we're going to be in Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. And I want to ask you just to follow along with me as I read this. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. So the writer of Hebrews is taking us to the, this place of recognizing that our time is limited. And he's writing this. And as I was reading through this, I got to thinking about it and, and want to ask you this question this morning as we look at this text. Many of you in here are parents, and so I want to ask you, how many of you have ever fallen to the intense pressure of your children asking for a puppy? Now, you might be going, what does that have to do with the book of Hebrews? You'll see. We are a family that loves dogs. Uh, my kids didn't need to beg one for one because I did that for them, okay? And so we love our dog. But I have friends who tell the story of their kids coming and begging and going back to them over and over and over. And maybe you did this to your parents. But asking for this dog, and they say to you, I will take care of it. I'll feed it. I'll give it water. I'll take it for walks, and I'll clean up after it. And so you fall to the pressure and you buy the dog. And then you as parents realize you have another responsibility. 
And it's not just the dog, it's that you have to remind the kids over and over again. Did you feed the dog? Did you water the dog? We're starting to see the ribs. You better go back and feed the dog. So you end up reminding them over and over again. And what usually happens is this, is that you get tired as parents reminding your kids to do this, and so the job falls to mom. Sorry, mom. But moms get the job, and then the dog's just loyal to mom, and that's it. And see, the reason that we go through that is because it reveals that we have a tendency to forget. That we need a reminder. That we need to be reminded often of what we need in our life. Because we have the tendency to misprioritize things. That we take something in, we want it really badly, we love it, and then we start adding other things to our life and we misprioritize them. And we forget. And we do this with our spiritual lives. That we let our schedules and our life be invaded. And so the author of Hebrews is writing this text to remind us. And it's a reminder that he wants us to continue to remind one another. That it's not something that we should just say several times and then let somebody else take it. It's something that we are to remind each other all the time. And he starts it with this. He, he ends up writing this. And in verse 23, he starts, and three times in this text, he uses the phrase, let us. Meaning that it's to be a group of people. Let us. Let us together. And it all leads to this reminder of this phrase of not giving up meeting together. Not giving up meeting together. Now, our English language is a fine language. But if you're new to the Bible, what you need to understand is there's two sections in the Bible. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament. And the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and the New Testament's written in Greek. And the Greek language is great at describing things. In fact, they, they give some deep meaning to things. So when we read not giving up meeting together, what the author is meaning is some of these original language phrases of don't neglect, don't cease, don't leave, don't abandon, don't desert, don't utterly forsake meeting together. That's strong language. See, if, if we see something on the news of a soldier that is abandoning his troops or, or a child that's been abandoned, there's something within us that stirs up and says, that's injustice. That shouldn't be happening. We get angry. But the author in Hebrews is giving that same attention here. It should anger us when we see others who follow Christ that are forgetting that we are to be together. And so the writer is being strong here and saying this is what is to be serious in our life. And so when we look at the two values of small group and leadership development, we have to understand that that is a call to discipleship. And that discipleship happens most effectively in relationships. And so for us this morning, I want us to understand that God transforms lives as we go from the rows to the circle. God transforms lives as we go from the rose to the circle. 
And the reason for that is because we were created for relationship. We were desperately created for that. And sometimes we doubt that reality. But the fact is, is that if you're sitting in here and you don't believe in God, or you're sitting here and you believe in God, the reality is, is that either place you were created for relationship. You were made that way. It's wired in us. And because I believe that the Bible is truth, we need to look at Scripture and say, what does the Bible say about that? And so I want you to go, we're going to put some of it on the screen, but I want you to jump back to the beginning of time and go to Genesis 1. See, in Genesis 1, we have this creation account that God is creating the world, and he creates Adam, man, and then he creates woman, Eve. And what we see through the creation account is that he created mankind to have a relationship with him. He created mankind to have a relationship with one another. And he created mankind to have a relationship with himself. Because all three things have to do with the identity of each individual in this room and around the world. We were created for those relationships. And it's because we find our identity there. The reality is, is that when we read the creation count, God ends up saying that Adam needed someone else. He had God fully. He had that relationship, but something was missing, and so he created Eve, which means that we also need others. And so we see this beautiful thing take place in Genesis 1 and 2. We see creation happen, and everything's perfect, and then sin comes. We see what happens in Genesis 3. So in Genesis 3, the serpent is tempting the Adam and Eve, and they fall, and sin comes. And all this relationship that God had built and created starts this brokenness. But there's hope. There's hope. In Genesis 3, I want you to see it. In Genesis 3, verses 8 through 10, it says this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Stop there for a second. I know what my kids sound like when they're walking. I can be sitting in my house and hear just the way they walk or they run. And why is that? That I know who it is. Because I have a relationship with them. This is a deep deep thing here because Adam and Eve knew exactly what God sounded like. It means that they had relationship. So it's in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. You might be going, where's the hope? See, Adam is completely messed up here. His whole understanding of this relationship is now broken. But God does what we all need him to do. He enters the mess. He enters the mess of the brokenness. He walks in and he goes there. And the reason he is doing that is because he wants to bring about healing to the circle. He's not looking at just one of them. He's looking at both of them. He wants to heal the circle. He wants to bring about hope. He's providing the opportunity to have relationship. Where are you? I'm seeking you to bring about healing. 
And he does this because whenever the broken relationship with God, with others, and with ourselves is there, we have a need for God to rescue us. See, small groups and this leadership development are key to our community here because discipleship is done in relationship because it's the way that God has always done it. It's the way that God has set it up. So the writer of Hebrews is reminding us to not give up because it was from the very beginning of time, because we were created that way, to be in relationship. And so we can look at all of Scripture that we see that God is coming. He's trying to rescue them, and he's trying to remind them, this is who I am. I'm here to bring healing. And we go through all of Scripture, and the reason this whole community thing is important is because it was important in the past, it's important now for us, and it's important for all eternity. See, God is doing something, and we find it in the end, at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation. So we start at the beginning of time, and now we're at eternal time, and we get to Revelation 21. I want you to see this. Revelation 21, 3 through 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. The old order of things, what we're dealing with right now, the pain, the cries, the tears, he's going to wipe it all away. But the reason we're so like focused right now on how we are getting into groups and how we're developing people is because of what we see here. It doesn't say that God's dwelling place is with John. Or God's dwelling place is with Sue. It says, among the people, with them, they, there is no me. It is all about community. It's with all the people. Now, before anybody points this out, I realize that's not a small group. I realize heaven is going to be a massive amount of people, okay? But the reason we have to go to Revelation 21 is because we forget that God has wired us to be in community with other people because he's preparing us for all eternity. He's preparing us for the relationships we'll have in heaven as we are standing in his glory. And so when you get together, for those of you that are in a group, you're not getting together for just this nice little thing or this nice social event. You are getting together to prepare for eternity. That changes the perspective. It makes it that makes us realize why this is so important is because transformation is to happen so that we see more and more people in Revelation 21. I want you to understand that God transforms lives as we go from the row to the circle. God transforms lives as we go from these seats to the circle, looking into each other's faces and 
getting into each other's lives. So how does this happen? What, what are the biblical marks, maybe, of, of what this means when we're to be together or why we're to, to be together? You know, we were created for it. It's to prepare us for eternity. But I believe that Hebrews 10 is giving us four things that we have to understand. So look at it again at verse 24. And let us consider. I want to stop there. The first biblical mark that we have to understand is consider. You might be going, what? What? How do we look at that as a biblical mark? Well, I want to go back and, and for us to understand that whenever we look at this work, consider. I want you to think about the decisions that you make. Some of us have big decisions to make every day. We make big decisions throughout our year. And we look at things closely when we're making a big decision. We're giving intentional focus and attention uh, and, and this undivided attention to it. Well, whenever we're looking at it here, consider is to mean great attentiveness, to look at things closely, to understand completely. And so what the writer is saying is you are to understand this completely. You're to understand the importance of this, that for people to become more and more like Christ means that we have to be a people that are giving great attention to being with others. So some of you in here are going to say, I'm just kind of like a private person. I'm shy. And others of you are going to say, I love people. You're high energy. And you, you want to be around a lot of people. No matter where you're at, you were wired to consider that in order for each of us to grow, we have to be in groups together. It's looking deeply into each other's lives and seeing the transformational power of the gospel in each person in that circle and speaking truth into each life. See, when we're to consider this, it means that it doesn't matter where our personality is, we are called to be together. And what it's talking about here does not necessarily mean in the row that you're in right now. It means closer, deeper relationship. So it means that you're going to have to look. I, I got to just tell you, you have to look at your schedule. You have to look at your calendar and say, where is it that I'm prioritizing my time and my talents, my giftedness? Where's all this going? And am I with others that are going to challenge me, love on me, strengthen me? Where is that taking place? And you need to be with other followers of Jesus. You have to consider the importance of a small group. So we're to consider. Second, what we see in Hebrews 10, 24, is that we are to spur. So we are to spur one another. Whenever you see that word, you might be thinking of the, the little piece of metal on the back of a boot that you use to kick into the side of the horse to get the horse's attention, to, to drive that horse a certain direction. Well, guess what? That's what this is really kind of meaning. See, this word spur means to stir things up, to, to provoke. It's an irritation. It's intensity. And the reason that's there 
is because it's vitally important for our lives. I don't like this word. It's rough. It's not comfortable. But we need this, and we need others stepping in to spur us on. Because at times, we hear things from God, and we feel like we're supposed to go this way, and then we misprioritize, or we start to forget, and we go down a different path. And unless we have people next to us saying, what did God call of you? We're going to get off course. I have friends like this that I have shared, I feel like God's calling me to this. And then, week after week, month after month, they're asking me about it, and i got to tell you, they're irritating. But they're needed. Because just like the writer of Hebrews, we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of what we're called to. And so we need those awesome friends who at times we can say, Man, they irritate me, but I could not do life without them. And they spur us on to some of the hard things that God calls us to. Because that's where we see small groups working and where leadership development happens. That's where transformation takes place. So consider, spur, and then there's a third thing. And the third thing is, Love and good deeds. It's so good that after you get this irritating word, you get the warm fuzziness of love and good deeds, okay? And so the author's writing this, and and this is an an interesting section when we start looking at what this means. I don't know about you, but I love Sundays here at Wheaton Bible Church. I love coming into this room. I was standing up here and and just listening to the voices as we worship an amazing God. As we praise him, the, the time that we get, I love this place, and I hope you love it. But I'm going to make a general statement, and I'm just going to warn you, I might offend some of you. But I have the microphone, and so I'm going to do that, Okay. Could it be that you like Sunday because it's easier to be a consumer than it is to be a giver? Do you like Sunday because it's easier to be a consumer than to be a giver? And I know that some of you serve here, and I want to challenge us to continue to do that, but Sundays can have this feel where we come in and we get into the row and we consume, we take in the worship, we take in the teaching, we we take all that in and we can make it out the door and we can go on with our life, but we've at least checked off the box of that we've done the, the holy, the moral thing. We were in church. But all we were was consuming. And what love and good deeds is about is not going through the motions. It's bringing transformation. So when we look at the spinal column, the spinal column has to consume and has to take in nourishment so that it can grow to build structure for the body. So there's this aspect where you are to come in and to be in the row to consume and take in the truth, and then you are to leave to go into the circle to give 
to do good deeds, to love on one another, to understand that you might feel right now that you have nothing to give, but there is a circle that needs what God's put into you to give to them. And they have exactly what you need. And so what the writer in Hebrews is saying is that we are to be people that are in groups that are loving one another and doing God's work, spurring one another on in this, because this is the importance for the kingdom. So we're to consider, we're supposed to spur, we're supposed to have the love and good deeds, and then the last mark is this, is that we're to encourage one another. So next week, uh, next Sunday actually, uh, is the Chicago Marathon. Do we have anybody running the Chicago Marathon? Man, you people are amazing because I will never do that. So I just give you all the credit. This is the beauty of the Chicago Marathon and any marathon, is that those of you that train, you have trained just so hard. And so there's going to be a group that gathers at the starting line. But do you know where the largest group of people are going to gather? They're going to gather on the sidelines and on the paths and the sidewalks along the entire race route. And that's where a majority of the people are going to be. Why is that? It's because the race is long. And so those racers have all these people along the sidelines that are encouraging them. Now since I probably will never run a marathon... I had to talk to some other people that ran marathons. And one of the things that was shared was that whenever they were running the marathon, there were these times throughout the race that their body's just depleting, and then they get this this look or they hear this voice. They get a glimpse of a loved one, a friend, their encourager. And it's like something happens in their body, and there's this adrenaline that pumps in, and they can go several more miles. And then... The body starts going down a little bit, and they hear another voice, and all of that happens. And so in that race, that long race, the racers need the encouragers. And guess what? The race of life is longer. And so each of us in here need to be the encourager and receive the encouraging. This encouraging is to call people to our side, to call the aid, to strengthen others. That's what the writer's talking about. And so we have to be people that are encouraging. We're getting into our groups and we're, we're encouraging. It means that for some of you that hold this title of leader, that you are to be looking at someone else and saying, I need to encourage them to leadership. Because if we're going to be a community of people that are having more and more people, then we need more and more leaders. And so we need to be doing this considering, spurring, loving good deeds, and encouraging more and more, and so that we're reproducing. So how does all this happen? Why does it all happen? Well, it's because of what takes place in verses 19 through 23. I don't know about you, but I'm going to end with this. I was not a good student. In fact, some of my teachers are here. That's a little uncomfortable. But I wasn't a good student. But I do know a little bit of facts. And so I want you to to read this. This is Newton's first law of motion. You might know it. Newton's first law of motion is every object will remain at rest or in uniform motion in a straight line unless compelled to change its state by the action of an external force. Okay? 
So you probably understand this. I throw a ball, it's going to be going, but because of gravity, it's, gonna, it's an external force that's going to push it, or maybe somebody's going to hit it. It's going to go a different direction. And so we see this, but guess what? You are actually, your life is in this motion, or has been in this motion. So you've been going down your straight path. And when we look at verses 19 through 23, what we see is that the external force of the grace of Christ has come in and has empowered you, it has changed you, it's transforming you, and it propels you in another direction. And so we have the confidence to come before a God who then calls us to be out of the row, into the circle, to reveal his gospel grace to others. And so for those of you in here that have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you have had that action, that external force of grace come in, you are called. You're called to others. You're called to develop others. And for those of you that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're reading those verses of 19 through 23 and you're going, I just don't know. I want you to know that Jesus has come. He is the external force to come in and change your direction so that you will be one of the ones that was in Revelation 21. That you are standing before God at the end of your life and he is welcoming you in. So if that's you, if you're going, I need Jesus, then after the service, I want to I want to invite you to come up and talk with somebody up here, pray with somebody up here. I'm willing to talk to you. I, I want that to take place. But it's because of that grace that it drives us to be in groups, to be developing others. So if you're not in a group, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get into one. You can go to wheatonbible.org slash small groups, and you can sign up right there. And for those of you that are reading that, you're already in a group, I want you to develop another leader so that we can start more groups. Because we were created for this. And what we have to understand is that God transforms lives as we go from the row to the circle. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are, what you have done, your grace, your mercy, how you have propelled us in a new direction for being that holy external force. And I pray, Lord, that we would take up the call to be with others. That that's what you started from the beginning of time. It's what you want us to do now, and you're preparing us for all eternity. So guide us in that, Lord. And as we As we come to worship you, Lord, I ask that you continue to do a work on our hearts. May we praise you, and may you receive this praise. And it's your name I pray. Amen.